Basically, I was just sharing how the Lord has us in a place where we're wanting to start about talk about doctrinal issues and things, and we'll be talking about things that are somewhat controversial, but we want to talk about them in a way that's not controversial. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? We want to talk about them in a way where, you know, it's like, well, this is what we believe, and we're not forcing our beliefs on anybody, or we're not, you know, it's... You know, we just we're just going to read from the Bible and say that this is how we believe the Bible teaches it. Now, you you either believe that or you don't. It's not a big deal, and we're not going to judge you if you don't. We're not going to be against you, or any of those things. It's just like, but I feel like, I feel like in the church today, there's not enough talk about doctrinal issues, and I believe that a lot of it is because we're afraid. We're afraid to talk about things like that because. It does kind of bring up tension sometimes, and it does bring us into places where it's like, well, you know, I don't believe that, you know, and stuff. And but I'm hoping that we've developed relationships with each other enough to where we can disagree and still be cool with it, right? Yeah, that's what I just said. Does it give you like chocolate? Disagree? <laughs> yes. You know, like chocolate. What is it? Mexican flip flop. Oh, really? How you doing? <laughs> Kind of like the George Bush thing Welcome where the lady threw a shoe at her. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Cindy, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. But, uh, and so I was saying that tonight uh, we want to talk about some doctrinal things. And, um, you know, a lot of believers are like, you know, I just want to love Jesus and I don't need anything about this doctrinal stuff. You know, and the fact of the matter is, is doctrine is the basis of every relationship. Right? Even, like... Even even between uh, relationships on the earth, we it's based on what you believe, right? Yeah. If you believe that your best friend is going to go behind your back and gossip about you, you're, it's going to affect the way that you react towards her, right? If you believe that if I say something to this person, this person is going to judge me, it will it will affect the way that you act with them, right? In the same way, the Bible says, as a man thinks, that that so is he. Right, And so, whether we realize it or not, everything that we think about God, everything that we believe about God is doctrine. Doctrine is our relationship with God. Because, again, your relationships with other human beings are based on what you think about that person. Right? So, in the same way, our relationship with God is based upon how we think about Him or how we think He is. or what. So you cannot have, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot, uh, you, can't, you can't be a Buddhist, you can't be a Jew, you can't be anybody if, without doctrine. Doctrine simply is what you believe about something, okay? So in Genesis chapter 15, where did, oh, I thought Amy still had my glasses. We're going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant tonight because um, a lot of people talk about the, uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant and they say that God's covenant with Abraham, and we're going to look at it tonight, they're saying that God's covenant with Abraham, God came down to Abraham and God did everything. And that Abraham didn't do anything. Abraham had nothing to do with it whatsoever. It was all God. And... And they say that this correlates to Christianity and that, you know, God comes to us and, and God d- 
does it in us, and we don't have any part to play in that. We don't have anything to do with that. It's just God just does it all, and we don't do anything, and we're just, you know, like puppets. God just moves us on strings and stuff. And the thing is, is I, and I plan to show that there is no such thing in the Bible as a covenant that is not two-sided. There is always, in every single covenant, there is God's part, and there's our part. It's like a marriage. A marriage is a covenant relationship. When you are in a marriage, there is your part and there is the other person's part. Even when you take your vows before the preacher, the preacher says, are you going to willing to love this person, lay your life down, whatever they say? Are you willing to do this? You say, I do, right? And then they say that to the other person. And so that's marriage is a perfect picture of what a covenant is marriage is a perfect picture and the thing is is if you think about marriage you realize that covenant is not just the saying of those words covenant is not just the taking of those vows it's not just the exchanging of a ring covenant is a relationship right does that make sense and so you can't Say, my marriage to Amy, our marriage together. You can't take our wedding day as a snapshot and say, this is their covenant together. Right? Our covenant began when we first met. Our covenant began when we started dating together. Our covenant was yesterday when we, you know, went to Walmart together. Our covenant is every part of that step, every every step of the way, right? So a covenant is not just a taking of vows. It's not a ceremony. It is a relationship. Like, okay? Does that really, make sense? Yeah, can I just say really quick, since you used us as an example, like we've even experienced in our own marriage, you know, the first six years of a one-sided covenant, and it don't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean. Because we, we weren't both doing our part, and um, it didn't work. And it was it was a relationship of, Almost like of I'm married because I have to be instead of I'm married because I want to be and because this is a relationship of love. So yeah, and so and we all know of marriages that are like that where where, I mean if you if you think about a marriage situation like that it's not a marriage right it's not a true marriage it's a sham, right? And there are marriages there there are situations when when one person is forced to be with another person and if there's not love if there's not relationship it is not truly a marriage right it's a marriage in name but it's not a true marriage it is not a true union they be the two becoming one flesh okay so in Genesis chapter 15 verse 8 um, this is Abraham this is God starting verse 7 says, the Lord comes to Abraham and he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abraham said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said, so the Lord said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Now, one thing that I want us to see here in the first place is that Abraham is already playing a part in this, right? I mean, God could have, could not God have easily just put a bird there, put the, put the, um, put the calves there and stuff. God could easily have done everything. Just like when, um, when, uh, God told Abraham to kill his son, what happened? The, the, Abraham looks over and the ram is caught in the thickets, right? So God provided that for him. In the same way, God could have provided all these things for Abraham, but he didn't. Why? Because Abraham had a part to play too. 
God is showing him that this is not... Now, did obviously, God initiates it, right? God initiates covenant with all of us. There is not one single human being who has come to Jesus, who has come to God, that God did not initiate that, right? We can't come to God unless he draws us by his spirit. We all know that, right? But at the same time, God is giving Abraham his part to play. It's just like in the Adam of, or in the Adam of Eve. It's like in the Garden of Eden, where, where God creates all the animals, and then he says to Adam, go and name all the animals, right? So God does his part, and then we have our part to play. So in verse, um, verse, verse 9 again, so he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then Abraham brought all these to him, and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Then the birds of, uh, the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. So again, here's, here's the sacrifices laid out, and Abraham is having to defend that from the birds of prey, Right? So again, if there are so many preachers and so many teachers that say they use the covenant of Abraham, this scripture that we're looking at right here, and they say this is the totality of God's uh, covenant with Abraham. And they say that, well, this correlates to Christianity in that we don't have any part to play and that we don't have to do anything, but that God's going to do it all, right? So we see that in here that Abraham is doing some things as well. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land. So God just begins to speak to him and tell him what's going to happen in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And then verse 17, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. So... So this is what they did to make covenant back in those days is basically whenever uh, two people would make a covenant with each other, they would, they would do the animals like this, right? They would cut them in half and they would lay this and both the parties would walk between the animals. And basically the idea was that if you break this covenant with me, what happened to these animals is going to happen to you. Okay, y'all get that? And also the symbology of the torch walking through the pieces and stuff, that's... I mean, that, what does that make you think about? It makes me think of the Holy Spirit. But it also makes you think about when the people of God came out of Egypt, right? How oh, God yeah. led them yeah. by a pillar of fire yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. And so over and over and over in the New Testament, God is, is, represents himself through fire. Mm -hmm. Even the flaming bush that, that Moses saw, right? Mm -hmm. so, so anyway, God walks through these pieces. Even in the New Testament. Yeah, true. And stuff. And so, again, people will say, well, because Abraham didn't walk through the pieces, that means that Abraham didn't have any part to play in this. And what I'm saying is that, that what God is trying to say through us is that God is the one that initiates covenant with us. Amen. Right? And that not only that, and we're going to look at scriptures to, uh, to show that we can't do anything to save ourselves. Right? None of us are good enough. None of us are clean enough. None of us have the ability to, to save ourselves. There's only one person who could save us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that God is also showing Abraham through this, I'm going to walk through these pieces to show you that you cannot save yourself. 
You are not good enough. You are not able. You don't have the power. There is nothing in you that is able to make covenant with me. It's I, God, that make covenant with you. Yes, darling? I think, I mean, we can research this and maybe come back to it next week or whatever, but I think I also read when I was studying uh, this uh, ceremonial thing that they used to do back then, is that it also was, I think they used to make the covenant with someone who was um, kind of equal in their, equal, equal in, their, in their, like one of them wasn't like highly superior, like they were kind of like equals, I think. Hmm. And so if that's true... Um, then that would kind of explain too why God did it this way to show that you can't be equal to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. just something to research and someone maybe can look into that and bring it back next week. But I thought that was kind of interesting when I was looking at it. That's good. So verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And so... Again, there's a lot of um, Christian teachers that teach that this is God's covenant with Abraham. This is the totality of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But if you, if you research what the Jews feel like is the covenant with Abraham, they consider um, Genesis, let's see, chapters 12 through 17 is God's covenant with Abraham, Right? If you look, if you go to to say like a Jew or a rabbi or someone that teaches the Jewish law, they don't consider just Genesis 15 to be God's covenant with Abraham. They consider uh, Genesis, um, what did I say, 12 through 17 to be God's covenant with Abraham. Because so there's several chapters involved. Right, okay. exactly. And so again, they don't look at this one act and say that this is God's covenant with Abraham. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to look at some of these verses, and we're going to just read a lot of Bible tonight, okay? So this isn't going to be one of those, you know, things that's really wow and, and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of scripture that we look at, and it's just going to be just getting an understanding of what covenant truly is. Ruth had something to say. Oh, okay. Oh, it's just a Go kind ahead. of an interesting thing I never hadn't thought about before. It's just this interesting that he, he, before he tells him this promise, he tells him this kind of this dark thing that's going to happen. About how they were going to be, his yeah. descendants were going to be in slavery yeah, for 400 years. And a deep sleep fell upon him, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God told him, and that, even in that place, what was going to happen. And then later, God says, well, but there's this promise that I'm going to do also. I just thought it was yeah. interesting. It sounds like a comfort, like he's saying, there's a lot of crap going to happen, but I'm yeah. going to be with you. I wonder in some senses too, is that the same as like Jesus saying, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up your cross yeah. daily and follow me. Yeah. And that it's not, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to sit down and count the cost before you, before you just say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be a disciple and stuff. And, you know, and I think that's the mercy of God, you know, and again, we've talked about this before. I think that if you're, if you're talking to somebody about salvation and you're talking to someone about accepting Jesus as our Lord and you're just giving them the good stuff, you're not telling them the whole picture. And I think that so many people fall away from the Lord because they come to Jesus and everyone's telling them, well, everything's going to be great now. Your life is going to be perfect. You're not going to have problems. God's going to bless you. He's going to give you all these things. And then they hit these snags and they hit these, uh, Satan comes against them and then they can't, they can't stand because they weren't prepared for that. You know, and, and that's, I think that's the mercy of God to tell us, look, 
You're going to experience tribulation. You're going to experience some things that are really hard. And there's going to be days when you don't understand what's going on. And it's in those times that we just have to trust and believe that he's there and that he's for us. Did you say Genesis 12? Uh-huh. So in Genesis 12, this is God's first introduction to Abraham, okay? This is where God comes and reveals himself to, a, to, to him. And in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, for the people that say that Genesis 15 is God's covenant with Abraham, how can you leave out Genesis 12, right? Where God comes to him and God and God initiates that relationship with Abraham, he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, which was uh, a place just full of idol worship and full of sin and full of. And to me, I don't know what that looks like to you, but this looks like salvation to me, mm-hmm. right? You leave behind your idols. You leave your father's house, the, and your father worshipped idols. Your father was into all that. He worshipped all the, uh, these things, and God's calling you forth out of these things. And not only is God calling you out of it, but he's giving you promises. If you will do this, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will do it. Now, this sounds like covenant too, right? Yeah, still doesn't fully obey it. True, right. And, and and I think that there's pictures in that of, of us when we first get saved, right? I mean, God, we come to the Lord, and we're like, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go wherever you lead and stuff. And then we start taking these details. And and God has to lead us back and say, No, you're getting you're getting off the track and stuff. Or we hold on to things that he hasn't made very clear to us. And right. <laughs> later on and it's very clear, but at the beginning it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And so and and so to me it's a great picture of how even though you're on the path now, you're following the Lord, you still stumble mm-hmm. because we're immature. And because we haven't really come to know his ways and stuff. And so but the simple fact of the matter is is God called Abraham. He said, follow me, right? What did Jesus do with the disciples? He said, come, follow me. Drop what did his disciples do? They Drop followed everything. him, Drop right? Everything. Yeah. Leave everything behind, family, just implicitly yeah. trust me. And I mean, that's, ex- that's exactly what's happening here, right? Verse 4 says, so Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Yeah. So there he is obey- obeying exactly. probably a really difficult command. He did take a lot with him, though, and that did cause some trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just saying. Was yeah. he not supposed to? Well, Well, and I think that that too is a picture about how sometimes we try to take some baggage along with us that, you know, God hasn't called us to take it with us too. You were talking about how when you got saved, you had to cut off those relationships with your friends because you knew that that would drag you back down. And I think that that, that, you know, if I, if I could talk to the men at the house, I would tell them first off, get rid of your friends. (laughs) Because they are just going to bring you back into the garbage that God has set you free from. And a lot of people aren't willing to break off those relationships. A lot of people aren't willing to cut them off and stuff. For me, it was actually pretty easy because after I got saved, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. They're like, this dude's gone crazy. I'm not going to hang out with him, you know. You can't have a good time smoking weed with someone that's telling you, we got to be pissed. We got to get right. 
So, yeah, so verse 4, then, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, with all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came into the land of Canaan. And verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So what does Abram do? He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, uh, and then verse 8, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And look at this, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Remember how we were talking last night about Seth? How, how after, after when Enosh was born, it says, And then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And so anytime the Bible talks about people calling upon the name of the Lord, it's not just this religious thing. It's not them trying to appear outwardly to be religious, but they're still living in Canaan. It's talking about people that are calling on the Lord and, and being transformed and wanting to have that relationship with Him. Wow, that's really interesting. You know, one, one thing that I picked up also, I, I didn't know that Lot was... Abraham's nephew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when God destroyed those two cities, he saved Lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though he was living in, in a uh -huh. desolate city uh -huh. because he was part of the covenant. Yeah. And the thing about Lot, Lot is a really interesting character to me too. Yeah. Uh, Lot is to me uh, a great picture of someone that, again, is half in the world, half in half in a relationship with God. You know, he's like, okay, I'm following God, you know, on Sundays and stuff, but throughout the week I'm kind of living the way that I want to live and stuff. And I think that it's awesome that God still saved him. But, you know, if you read the story, it seems like God saved him because of God's relationship with Abraham yeah. and not he with Lot. He for him. He was right. praying, asking yeah. the Lord. Right. Man, you you never know what your prayers for someone do, you know. And, and uh, you know, so, yeah. So look at Genesis chapter 13, verse 3. So again, we're just going to look through several chapters in Genesis about how, uh, again, Genesis 15 is not the totality of Abraham's relationship with God. And it's not the totality of God's covenant with a re uh, covenant relationship with Abraham. And in Genesis uh, 13, verse 3, it says, Abraham went on his journeys from the Gev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there, and again, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So again, Abraham is calling upon the name of the Lord. And then in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, and if you read the story, basically... Um, Abram's family or whatever with all of their sheep and all their all their servants and stuff like that and Lot had his family with all their sheep and all their herds and stuff like that and essentially they could not live in the same place together because they're they would grown too much right and stuff and so um so Abraham gives Lot the choice he says look we got to split up but you make the choice and again, to me, that shows a picture of, of the man of God. He says, I'm going to give you the choice to go wherever you want to go, and where you don't go, I'm going to go the other way. And so if you read the story, Lot picks the best land, right? He goes down to where Sodom and, and Gomorrah and stuff like that, and at the time, that was really good land and stuff. And so Lot, again, is a, is a 
I don't know if we want to, <laughs> right. And he, well, not only that, but he chose selfishness, yeah. right? And so, so it's giving us a picture, an inside picture on how they operate. Lot was operating through selfishness. It's like, have you ever given someone that kind of deal and, and you like hope that there will be some compromise, but they take the whole cake, right? Mm -hmm. They take the whole best part and they like, you know, you're like, couldn't we split it down the middle or something like, you know, but they take everything. Well, this is a picture of Lot because he's still selfish. He's still worldly. He's still, um, he's still, yeah. So anyway, Lot chooses the best part and then Abraham goes the opposite way and stuff. So that's where we are in, in verse 14. It says, now, uh, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I think this is awesome too, because we see that even though, and that's what, the thing is, is a lot of times what happens is as we are in this world, and, and sometimes we get taken advantage of, right? Because we as believers do the same thing that Abraham said, it did and let, People make the choices and we get taken advantage of. But we see here that the Lord sees what Abraham does, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not, and some, because sometimes we do things for people that, that and we get taken advantage of and they don't appreciate it. And we're like, oh man, what just happened? And we don't realize that the Lord sees what we do. Does that make sense? And the Lord is like, I will bless you. And so. So the Lord says, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as dust of the earth so that anyone can number the dust of the earth. Then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Again, it's if if... If Abraham has already made covenant with God, I don't know what's happening, right? I mean, this is all covenant relationship. God has come and initiated. He called Abram, and Abram answered. And that's the way God does through all of us, right? His Holy Spirit comes and says, follow me. And sometimes we're just like, no, right? And I know that God had to call me a bunch of times because there were several times when I said, no, -uh. I'm not following. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And it's because of his mercy that he continues to call us. And he continues to lead us. And he continues to work on our hearts and to try to lead us out of the places that we're at. And it's funny to me that he wants to build an altar all these places too because God never asked him to. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the heart of worship. How much do we try to do that? And also it's like we so want to give something back to God that's you know, yeah. good and yeah. God... Not that he asked for it, that he even needs it, but it's like, he's like, well, you know, he doesn't despise it either. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, you know, even God, I mean, there's several times, we know that God instituted the altar, the sacrificial <laughs> system. God instituted that. But there's several times where God says, your sacrifices and offerings I have not required. Mm -hmm. What I want is a heart. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that God was looking at the whole time. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Have you ever seen a little lamb? 
and stuff. I mean, we watch YouTube videos about funny animals and animals. I love fainting goats. We're going to own a fainting goat farm. Where they yell at the goat and the goat like falls down and like his feet are sticking up in the air and he's like freaking out. But but the thing is, but like if you ever watch like tiny little lambs frolicking and stuff, there is nothing cuter on the face of the planet than a tiny little white spotless lamb frolicking through the fields and stuff. You ask yourself, did God really want that animal to die for my sins? You know? And, and you think about it, it's like, did, did God in, does God, did God enjoy that animal dying? No. Because I sinned. No. So, the fact of the matter is, is that's not what God wanted. God never wanted those sacrifices. He did it to show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin so that we would not want to sin, right? Because if you had to go out and slaughter a little lamb because you knew you sinned, it would make you think twice about it, right? So in the same way, you know, if we have that true relationship with Jesus, we're not going to want to go out and sin because it's our sins that put him on the cross. Right. Even our religiousness is like Abraham does all these altars and these things, but he still has these episodes of lying and all these kind of things. Yeah. And that's like us too, right? It's like right. he builds his altar and stuff and like, like God's like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. But, you know, I'd rather you didn't give right. your right. wife to. Right. It reminds me of that verse, I think, Psalms, maybe, um, where it says, A righteous man falls seven times. Yeah. It gets back up again, and the Lord counted him as righteous, and you're watching his life like, when are you going to stop? Yeah. <laughs> What's kind he? of also and things that they, Abraham did not have Moses you know, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and you also think these guys didn't have the Holy Spirit right. convicting mm -hmm. them constantly right. and yeah. teaching right. them and training right. them as so they So God had more grace with so. them because of that, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's well, good. I always wondered about that because even though Pentecost hadn't happened yet and they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, David says, do not take your Holy Spirit yeah. from me. That's, so, you know, and also all the things that Sa Samson did, it said, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Coming upon, I yeah. think, and, Instead of yeah. that's what yeah. it Yeah, but I, I do, yeah, I do believe that the Holy Spirit was there in that sense and yeah. that he yeah. would, he would come upon people. But you're right. It wasn't like yeah. he indwelt them and right. things. And, and that's why the New Testament is clear. It's like, so how are we without excuse, right. you know, who, right. who, because, you know, they didn't have any of the things that we have and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. So again, the whole thing that we're looking at here through is that covenant was a relationship based with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you, your reward. Now, everything that... now." We read that stuff in Genesis 15 first off, right? About God coming down and walking through the, the pieces of the sacrifice and stuff like that. Everything that we just read came before Genesis 15, right? Okay. So in verse 1, and this is before also, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in the vision, saying, 
Excuse me. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Now what is Abram saying? God has promised him that I will make you fruitful and you're, 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 I will make you a father of nations, right? Yeah. And Abram's like, okay, it's not happening. Lord, what's going on? Okay, so he, and so Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, no one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, in other words, a servant, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look at the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Look at this right here in verse 6. He says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You guys remember that from the New Testament? <clears throat> so, but again, God, God is declaring Abram to be righteous because he believed him. But haven't we already seen from the other things that Abram did that Abraham already believed God, right? If a voice comes to you and says, I want you to leave your country and go out to a place that you don't have any idea where you're going, and you follow that voice... That means you've got some belief in you somewhere, yes. okay? Yes. Now, maybe Abram at this point, was a, there was a special belief or something. It's like he really grasped it or whatever and stuff. But there was already that belief there, mm -hmm. okay? And he was calling out so, a lot of times, right. too. Right, so this is, not, this is not a new thing. Now, this may, now, like all of us, we, we have mountain peaks experiences with God, right? Yeah. We, we have these times where we're like walking through the wilderness and we're just... You know, we're getting beat down and we're getting slapped around and stuff. And, and, and then we and then there's times when we have those moments where it's like, God is here. God is doing things in my heart. And you can sense just the power of God and you can sense God moving and God blessing and God speaking to you and things like that. This is one of those times, right? This is that time with, with Abram that God is just really pouring it out on him. Um. Verse 7, and then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, and so again, Abram is now at this point receiving revelation of who God is. And that happens to us too, right? A lot of times we, we, we get saved and we kind of have these, uh, some knowledge of God and we kind of know who God is. But then one day we're reading the scripture or we're praying or we're seeking the Lord and all of a sudden the Lord just booms this revelation on us, right? And then we just get overloaded with oh wow things that we never knew just like uh, uh jeremiah 33 3 call upon me and i will show you great and awesome things which you do not know and there are still great and you know some of us have been believers for a long time but there's still great and awesome things for every single one of us things that we don't know things that god wants to reveal to us and stuff and and there i I don't know why it happens, how it happens. I don't know when it happens, when it happens. But there are times when God's like, he's like, he's like a mountain lion just waiting to pounce on us. And, and like all of a sudden he pounces on us and he pours out this revelation on us and stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know why it happens that way. I think it's maybe God just delights to just sometimes just blow our minds, you know. Yeah. I think sometimes we also can't handle the truth. It's one of those things you're not. Yeah. You're not ready and yeah. you don't have the structure to even be able to believe what I'm about to tell you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I've dealt with that, with dealing with these 
young people yeah. that aren't my own and just trying to there's so much I want to say I just want to pour <laughs> years of wisdom and experience <laughs> yeah. and I'm like they are so not anywhere they can understand mm -hmm. what That's I'm good. saying yeah. and so you've just got to hold back and you got to wait for a good moment and trust That's God good. to bring the right moment to say this to the right moment to say that and you know oh, it's yeah. taking so much longer oh there's really more good. there's there's so much i want to tell you oh good i finally got an opportunity because this situation you finally have that little structure where you could understand what i'm saying you yeah because this devastating thing happened now you can get it you know yeah. it's like it's, and, it's, and it's weird it's like they're not going to get it yeah because what you're saying is what kind of happened like right before that you know, before, right before 15, and then this thing that happened with the king, and then, um, and then right after that, you know, God's telling him, do not fear, I'm a shield to you, and then he says, what are you going to give me, and then he basically comes up and says, how will I know that you're going to give it to me, so he's kind of like, yeah, something really bad, this is kind of, kind of crazy, and he needed that reassurance, and he was almost asking the Lord for it, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like what you're saying with children is sometimes... They have to be ready, and they have to be wanting it and ready for it. And mm -hmm. Abraham seemed like this was a really good time for him to be ready. And then the next chapter happens. Reminds me of Deuteronomy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah. Deuteronomy. <laughs> That's good. And, uh, yeah, well, like even Jesus, you know, where he said, there's so many things, to the disciples, there's so many things that I want to show you, but you're not ready for it yet. You know, I mean, that's the disciples who lived with him for three years, you know, and stuff. And like, man, there's, you know, imagine, like, can, can you imagine Jesus, like how much, like his heart, I mean, even when it talks about when he sent out the 70 and they go forth and, you know, he says, I saw Satan falling, you know, from lightning. He says, Jesus rejoiced. You know, and I mean, the, the idea seems to be that, like Jesus kind of went behind a bush. And he's like, yeah, you know, and stuff and just rejoicing over the things that they were doing and stuff. And, you know, how, how full was his heart? How much did he want to share? I mean, he's like, oh, man, I want to share this with you, but you. You, you're not ready. And, and there's other times where he just shared stuff that he knew they weren't going to be ready for. Like, yeah, it's like, wow, God, like, were they ready then? You know, like, you're going to see the Son of Man coming with the ascendant and with the angels in heaven sitting on the right hand of power. Were they ready to hear that? Yeah. I don't know. But it's like he told us. It's like, were they, like, were they ready to hear hey, anything Jesus. he said? It's like, wow. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's just, that kind of like really, really make them mad. <laughs> what? <laughs> And so, yeah, in Genesis 16 is where um, um, Abraham tries to do it himself. It's like, I get I'm tired of waiting, God. I'm tired of waiting for what you promised and stuff. I'm going to go make it happen myself. So we know the story where he goes and has relations with Haggai, his servant. And now as a result of it, we have, you know, the Muslims today. And so, it's interesting because it always looks a little bit like the picture of what God said because in a way it was his seed. Yeah. You know? But there's, you know what? Just hold your places here. I want to look at a scripture in Hebrews twelve. In Abraham and they believe. Right. In all of that, can I read it? They believe in everything before, uh, like, uh, before. They just don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right. That's weird though, because they believe that He's coming back again. I'm like, 
Well, why is he coming back? <laughs> Did you say Hebrews 12? They can't tell me that. Yeah, you don't even have to turn that. I want to just read this. In, in Hebrews 12, or 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was was offering, listen up, was offering up his only begotten son. Amen. I mean, is that awesome? Mm-hmm. Who was the only begotten son? Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. We know Abraham had two sons. Mm-hmm. I mean, Abraham physically created Ishmael. But the Bible, as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as the thinking and the mind of God, Isaac was his only begotten son. The son of promise. Right. Son and of in the same God. way... Mm-hmm. God has one only begotten son, and it's Jesus, right? There is no other. There is no other person. It's Jesus, and it's all him and stuff. Okay, so Genesis 17. Can I read that part, and then you can just jump in when you're ready? Go ahead. I just want to read. Can I read? Yeah. Now when Abraham no, I'm was... going to stop right there. So. <laughs> now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between you and me, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with me. Now, with ag- you. again, As think about me, this. He's saying his part. He's taking vows, right? Yeah. He's saying, This is my vow yeah, to uh, you. Right. And God made his vow to Abram and several places right if you follow me i will be a god to you i will be with your descendants i will give you the land god has made these vows to abram and so now abram's making vows to the lord but this part is god's part god is saying as for me behold my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations no longer your name be called abram but your name shall be abraham for i will make you the father of a multitude of nations I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Okay, so I want to just mention something about that. So God has already made the covenant, right? And now he's saying, I will establish that covenant. In other words, I will will make that covenant stick, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, so this is Abraham's part, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be (coughs) circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So I just think it's really cool right there how God, and like you said, like wedding vows, he said, these are my vows to you, but this is your part. Now this is what I want you to do to keep keep my covenant. So Abraham had a responsibility in keeping the covenant. No. So you can keep going now. I'm done. Well, that's, that's pretty much it. But, uh, you know, something else that's interesting about that is you guys know that today we're circumcised too, right? That the, 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 the covenant of circumcision has not ended. This covenant of circumcision continues, but now it's not, a circum, it's not a circumcision of the flesh, it's a circumcision of the heart, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which means that now we allow God to cut away from our heart everything that doesn't love Him, everything that doesn't, is not like Him, everything, and it's a continued cutting. 
It's not this one-time cutting. You, you, you're cut and you never have to. It's a continual pruning by the Holy Spirit. John 15 talks about if it bears fruit, he, takes, he, he prunes it so that it'll bear even more fruit. And so God does a continual cutting away of the flesh. And, and, and every day we die, we're dying to our flesh. We're having parts. And a lot of it is, is that we don't even know how worldly we are. We don't know how sinful we are. We think that we're pretty good people. And then God begins to show us, boom. He shows us another place where we're like, oh, you want to cut that off too? But I thought that was a good part. You know? It's like, have you ever seen someone prune a tree? Like a professional pruner? They will cut that thing where you're like, oh my God, there's nothing left. It's going to die. And so, and then like give it a year and this thing's like all over the place. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's what pruning does. God prunes away our fleshliness, our our worldliness, our, our sinfulness, our sinful desires. He cuts those away so that fruitfulness can take over our hearts. Righteousness too. Yeah, yeah. Our, our things that we do that we think make us right with God. Yeah, our our altar building yeah. and you know and stuff and and there's I mean we all know I mean gossip, lying, cheating, all the things that we do, all the things you know and it's just you you hear it a million times. God loves you just like you are when He saves you. He does. He loves you as much as He could ever love you. He loves every single person on this planet as much as He will ever love them. Mm-hmm. He loves every single person on this planet, but his desire is you got to change Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to dwell with sin. So you got to change and I will change you. Mm -hmm. I will let, if you will allow me to cut in and circumcise your heart. Hey, in verse 14, um, he also says as part of that covenant and the covenant with his descendants, he says, um, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people. Mm. He has broken my covenant. Mm. So again, our part that we have to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to cut away things, because if we don't, we, we've broken the covenant of God. He doesn't break covenant, but we can break covenant. And then, um, and I think it's interesting too that it says, Then Abraham, in verse 23, took Ishmael, his son, who was born in his house, and it says, And, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day that God had commanded it. And I just... I think that's really cool because it just shows he was quick to obey. Hmm. He also says that in John 15, too. That's um, when it goes into, like, if you do not bear fruit, there's a cutting. Right, exactly, Hmm. exactly. And then in verse 19 of the next chapter, he says, For I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what was promised and spoken about him. So again, there's that yeah. conditions to the covenant. Yeah, and, and that's what by nature a covenant is. When you go to law, when, when you, if, if, if you sue somebody or if you're being sued by somebody, it's based on covenant, right? You were, you were supposed to do this. You were supposed to do this. You were supposed to do this. You did not keep your part of the agreement. You did not keep your part of the covenant. If you're buying a car and you're making payments on that car, if you do not keep up your part of the agreement, they can come take your car, right? If you're buying a house and you don't keep your part of the agreement to make your payments, they can come take your house. It is part of the covenant agreement. Now, Genesis 12 through 17, all the stuff that we just read in, in Judaism, that is called 
I'm going to say it, but it's probably going to be wrong. It's called Brit Bien Habitarum. And it's called The Covenant of the Parts. And again, they don't believe that Genesis 15 is the covenant that God made with Abraham. They believe that Genesis 12 through 17 is God's covenant with Abraham. And we're going to see it in the New Testament too. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. What did they believe? What did you say? They they believe that God's covenant with Abraham was not just Genesis 15, but Genesis um, 12 through 17. And I believe that... uh, Go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, but I'm going to read Genesis 22 also, which they don't, con- at least from what I've been looking at, they don't consider this as part of the covenant, but... Oh, you mean when he's uh, sacrificed Isaac? Yeah. I'll just read it to you. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his... Or wait, 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 wait. 17. That's, That's 27. It's a representation of Jesus. Hebrews 5. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. In Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is where um, where basically um, it says verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Uh, it's like 24 did, years. Did we just read it? Yeah, because Abraham tried to do it himself. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant was with you. So God is, again, reiterating what he has already said to him. This is my relationship with you. This is my covenant. This is my promise to you. And when God makes a promise, he will not break his promise, right? God doesn't break his promises, but man is unfaithful, right? Yeah. It's us. It's we who break our promises with God. It says, uh, as for me, uh, verse 5, no longer shall you. Did you just read this? I believe so. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, I'm looking for 22. Actually, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Genesis 22 says, "Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he, Abraham said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you." So Abraham rose early in the morning, and just like Amy said, like, you know, Abram was quick to obey God, mm-hmm. right? Everything God told Abram, he just, he did it and stuff, and no matter how difficult it is, and I think about my life, how many th- how many times God has told me to do hard things, and it's like, oh, no, you know, and it's like, well, maybe if I put it off, God will forget, right? <laughs> and so we're not as fast to follow God as Abraham was. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And we know the whole story. So Abraham takes his son, he takes wood, and he builds an altar to the Lord, and he ties his son to it. Um, Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, here I, am, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. I think this is kind of an interesting picture into the story. Isaac is starting to be a little suspicious. He's like, well, I see all this wood. I see all this other stuff. Where is the sacrifice? Okay, so uh, Abraham said, God, 
Again, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the, the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He says, Do not stretch. So we know the story. God stops him from killing his son. It's so cool that Isaac did that. Because Isaac's like a teenager. And Abraham's 99. Like, Isaac could have fought against yeah. him. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a picture. Like, of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Like, he was submissive. Yeah. Wow. And, I mean... And the thing is, is Isaac had to have a relationship with God. Otherwise, they're going to have a really weird relationship, yeah, right? Happening, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, he's going to have to know God and, and be able to forgive and be able to see, you know, what's going on here. Verse 12, he says, uh, Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from him, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his, th by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. So, in Hebrews 11. But not, not only that, something that I picked up is that um, at that point, Isis' faith will multiply. It will yeah. become even more intense because... He sees the love that he has for God and the obedience because he told his son, don't worry, God will provide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God will provide. So mm -hmm. his son trusts his father right. so faithfully. Right, right. I said, okay, God will provide. Even though it, it looked mm -hmm. pretty you know, grim. It pretty didn't grim. look good at yeah. that time. Yeah. 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 But God came through. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. his obedience came through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also read somewhere that, um, that probably, it was like someone's opinion, I thought it was pretty good that Probably because of their culture and how much they knew that only a perfect lamb was to be sacrificed, and that to be actually to be a sacrifice for the Lord would actually be an honor. Like that, mm. he maybe in his mind, because their children were taught better than ours sometimes, that he had an understanding that when he was laying on that altar, that that there was a purity that God would consider him worthy to be a sacrifice. So maybe that was mm. even part of the other reason he didn't fight because he thought. You know, I've been counted worthy to be sacrificed for the Lord, you know, like I'm an innocent lamb. And you know, so Abraham said to the two men, Wait here, we'll be back. Oh, did he? We will oh, be back. Oh, yes. That's good. Yeah. So, wait, what did you say in the New Testament? When he said in the Old Testament, when he told the two guys, like, Wait here, mm -hmm. we'll be back, mm -hmm. yeah. he didn't say, I'll be back. Yeah. He said, We'll be back. Yeah. 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 In the New Testament, it says that. Abraham so, believed that God would raise him from the dead. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's amazing because he so, didn't even know Jesus, but he believes in God raising yeah, the dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just really plus, cool. I think that it's also a good picture of being born again, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. he was dead. <laughs> I mean, he would have been dead had the angel of the Lord not stopped him. So, in a yeah. sense, he was born again. He's right? dead. It it kind of. I mean, and I'm not. I don't know how to say this properly, but it makes me think of. Even though they have a wrong doctrine, the Muslims, they believe, and, and it just makes me think of them believing in Abraham. They actually believe that, you know, if they sacrifice themselves or whatever, mm -hmm. like what from what you were saying, that they are being pleasing to God. Yeah. And if that is how he thought, it makes me wonder, because God stopped Abraham. Right. And... I don't know, it just makes it provoke, it's thought-provoking for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Yeah, and that's the beauty of the Word of God. There are so many layers to it, you know. Um, like you can read the Word of God a million times and never get bored because there are layers that if you take your time with it and you and you're looking at it, it's like it's like you know it's like a dime and you just turn it this way and you know you get different pictures and you different views and stuff and and it's like people read the Bible and they don't read it putting their hearts into it and it's a boring dead book. It's because their hearts are dead. But if you come to the Word of God, it's I mean it it just it. It blows everything else out of the... There's nothing that compares with it. So, yeah, verse 8. So, again, uh, there are many teachers that teach that uh, um, Genesis 15, that, that sacrifice, that, that thing that God did in that particular moment is got the totality of God's relationship or God's covenant with Abraham. But we're going to look in the New Testament and see that the New Testament doesn't believe that. The writers of the New Testament didn't look at that one incident in Genesis 15 as the covenant relationship with God. They looked at other things. Mm -hmm. And in verse 8, it says, by faith. And now, how are we saved? By faith, by faith right? So, <clears throat> even though Jesus had not come yet, and people were not made perfect until Jesus came, the people in the Old Testament who followed the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength, they were saved by faith, just like we are. They were not saved by the, by the Mosaic Covenant. They were not saved by killing bulls and calves and goats. They were not saved by letting their sideburns grow long. They weren't saved by keeping the law. They were saved by faith. And it talks about people that came before Moses who were saved. And so, and it talk, and that's the whole picture of Hebrews 11 showing that these Old Testament people were saved and they were saved by faith. And that's the only way anybody, Old Testament, New Testament, can be saved is by faith, which is the gift of God. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, he obeyed. Not knowing where he was going, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So again, God is bringing out other things about Abraham rather than just Genesis 15. Uh, verse, uh, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. What's the promise? Jesus, right? So nobody in the Old Testament received what we received, right? Just like we were talking about earlier, we have received something that all the people, all the prophets longed for. All the Old Testament saints and the prophets and the, the men of God and the women of God in the Old Testament, they longed for our days because we have received the fulfillment. Um, verse, uh, it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, in other words, they weren't going to receive them, but they could see them by faith, it says, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. What's it saying? God promised Abraham the land, right? And it says that he never possessed what God had promised him. So what is it saying? God, God wasn't interested in a geographical location. He wasn't giving to Abraham this geographical location. He was giving to him a person, and that person is Jesus, right? It says, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Same with us. You start thinking about your sins. You start remembering how much better your sins were than following the Lord. You can return back to that. The Bible talks about don't be like the one who, who like puts his hand to the plow and turns back or like a sow that goes back to wallowing in the mud. It says, um, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, again, before Genesis 17, by faith, Abraham, went, or actually, this is after, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was said to, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. God promised that he would multiply his descendants, right? How was he going to do it? Through Isaac. God gives him the promise. God gives him uh, what he prayed for. And then God says, I'm going to take it away from you. Now, how many times does God do that to us? Has, has it seemed like God has blessed me? He has given me the thing that I've asked for, and now he's taking it from me. What was Abraham's idea, attitude? His attitude is, I believe by faith. God made this promise to me. I'm going to stand on this promise. I don't care what the situations look like. I don't care. God can raise him from the dead. It doesn't matter. God is faithful. Where we fail is we start to doubt God and say, man, I guess that God just lied to me. Or I guess I, you know, I didn't hear. Or Yeah, exactly. And so, and so we fail through our unbelief. But if God has promised, God will deliver. Yeah. It's just a matter of sometimes us standing. If we do our part, there. though. Right. And that comes to make an altar of the thing that God has given us. And so God even asks us to lay that down right. so that our, our yeah. faith is in that's Him good. and not in the, not the, in the promise, but it's in yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. good. Um, like Gideon, uh, and, and you know, at some point we want to teach all these Old Testament characters and stuff, but Gideon... Um, defeated the Midianites. If you go back to the book of Judges, Gideon was one of the judges. They, the people of Israel were being oppressed by the Midianites. And so Gideon raised up an army and he goes and destroys the Midianites. And basically the Midianites were, they, they had the camels with all the gold jewels hanging off the camels and stuff like that. And so they took all those, all the gold and the spoil from the Midianites and they made an ephod or a breastplate out of it. Uh -huh. They begin to worship it. They yeah. even gave it a name. Yeah, and they, they also worship Moses' serpent. Yeah, yeah. Nehushtan yeah. or whatever and stuff. And they worship these <laughs> yeah. things. And just like you said, sometimes, you see, even like in movements, you know, revivals and stuff and, and things, places where God truly moved and God truly did great things. And we worship that thing. We worship, we're still in 1904 or we're still at the Azusa Street. And we're still, and, but the thing is, is the Azusa Street thing ain't still there. Right. God has moved on, and it's good. It's good to reflect on those things. It's good to, but it, it's it's we reflect on the God who did it, and if God did it before, He can do it again, right? And it's not the movement. It's not the thing. It's not the what happened in Toronto. It's not what happened in Brownsville. It's not what happened in Azusa. It's not what happened in Wales. It's God did it, and this God is still faithful and. 
hopefully he'll do it again. Right? How do we make him do it again? We do that with preachers too. We idolize. Yeah, (laughs) preachers. Yeah, exactly. We repent and obey him. So, uh, okay, turn to uh, James chapter 2. And again, we're just looking that the Bible um, looks at the totality of Abraham's relationship with God, and this is what the Bible considers the covenant of Abraham. Okay, really super, super, super fast, I promise. You were in Genesis 22. Um, On the last part of that, about offering up Isaac, it says, um, and then Jesus said, By myself I have sworn, after basically he did that, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, I have not withheld your son. Mm. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand that sits on the seashore, and you shall possess the gates of your enemy. And again, because you have obeyed my voice, mm. in verse 19. You know, there are so many times in the word of God where God does that. He says, because you have obeyed me. And there are so many people that teach that, you know, God just God's going to do it. <laughs> You have no part to play. God's just going to do it all. There is always our part to play, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, when I say that, I say that like, like you know, the, the times in the Bible where, where God came and defeated the people, the enemies of Israel, and they didn't have to do th- anything. There are times when we don't have to do anything. Right. But that is actually the exception rather than the norm, mm-hmm. Right? Like, even in those types of situations, God says, okay, you're not going to have to do anything, but I tell you what, take your army and go up behind them, and at, the, at a certain time, I'm going to have you attack them. So they still had to do something, mm-hmm. right? And that's the thing. That's the thing marched, that... marched around the wall like seven times. Yeah. And it's like, okay, they didn't have to do anything, <laughs> but they had to march around the walls, and they had to blow the trumpets. Yeah. Then when the walls fell, they had to run into the city and kill the enemies. Or like whenever the men were told they were being healed from their, uh, I guess, I think it was leprosy, and then he told them, go and dip yourself in the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they had to choose the stones and run at the giant. Yeah, yeah. Make us proclamations. Or the widow gathering the jars. Yeah, and so, and and that's the thing, because, uh, you know, there there is not this thing in Christianity. Go ahead. Sorry, Mom. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, not to interrupt. It's okay. My point being is that we can't, as believers, just say, you know what? I don't have to do anything. You know, uh, it's like if, if, if you don't have a job, it's like, I don't have to do anything. God's going to provide a job. No, God wants you to get off your butt, go out, get in your car, and go to places and put in applications. Right? It's not just going to happen. You know, if you want to be healthy, you've got to eat the right things. You've got to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing all these things. And I'm not saying any of that's a sin, honestly. Because, you know, all this, this scripture of you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's going to destroy who... Yeah, he's talking morally more than anything in those passages. He's talking about how you live your life. He's not talking about the... Anyway. But the point of the matter is, is we as believers so many times, we just get this concept, this idea in our heads that I don't have to do anything. You know, if I, if I, want, if I want a house, I don't have to look through the papers. I don't have to scour things and, and go ahead and put in, you know, it's like God will bless you, but he wants you to get busy, right? 
It's like whenever the whenever the, the, the tribes of Israel entered into the promised land, it says they had to go through the Jordan River. And it says at the time when they did that, the banks of the Jordan River were were overflowing and stuff. In other words, it was after the spring rains when the when the rains when the river from the mountain is flowing down and it's flowing. It's it's a torrent coming down. And God's telling them, I want you to go across that river into the Jordan. Right? It's a test of faith. And it says that nothing happened until the priest stepped into the water. As soon as they stepped their foot into the water, the water's divided. So again, it, there is always our part. There is, and, 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 and whenever we want God to do something, we don't just by faith say, well, I'm just going to name it and claim it. I'm just going to believe that God's going to do it. There's our part to do as well. What is God asking me to do in this situation? What does God want out of me? We, um, Makai, hey, Makai and Kellen's school, um, is really, I'm really having to die in my flesh with, like, a lot of stuff. And, like, I'm, like, when I look at the circumstance, I'm, like, there's no way you told me to bring my children here. It is so dark. Yeah. But then I feel like the Lord is saying, you're going to be the change, and you have to do this. And so he's been having me go to the school and walk the grounds and drive around yeah. and pray. And yeah. he's been having me do that since school started, since before school started. And I feel like, um, I felt like when you were talking about that, like I just feel like it's a more of a confirmation to me that what I'm doing just by going and praying and declaring the truth over that school. I mean, I can't force people to do anything, but I know that God can move yeah. if I'm obedient to Him. Yeah. And that, that brings up a really good thing, too, is that does God answer prayer? Yeah. You know? But will, will God work without us answering prayer? We know He does. I mean, there's been times before when I just had a desire. You know, I had something oh, yeah. that I wanted to happen, and I didn't pray about it or whatever, but God just did it. And so God does do that. But for the most part, if there's something that we want from God, He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to cry out to Him, right? We are those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's the whole thing is, is that's where relationship is. When we are the people that call upon the name of the Lord, we are the people that have that covenant relationship with Him. And relationship takes time. Relationships, relationship, you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with. You can't have a relationship with someone that you don't know. Relationship is all about getting to know somebody. Getting, getting, you know, it's like, yeah. You know, it's, it's all about getting and to know that person. Relationship is action. You yeah. Know, like I, I was telling Steve on the way here, you know, so many people, they like to throw the word, I love you, I love you, I love you. But then when you need them, there's nowhere to be found. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm too busy, you know, I'm doing this, this, this and that. But love is action. Love, God so loved the world that He gave. Yeah. Yeah. He True. didn't hold on to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He gave. This an action. He gave us Jesus. What did Jesus do? He took out all of our sins and He died on the cross for us. Another action. So we, why do we love God? Because He showed us. First He loved us. But He demonstrated in action. He, yeah. he died a, a terrible death. You know, He... There's so, so many actions in that. Yeah. And as Christians, we need to show action. Like I always tell people, don't tell me you love me, show me that you love me. Because what is for me is for me crap. <laughs> you know, in Christianity, 
we, we get up and talk to people and we do all this, but then when it comes to the action, where's the action? Yeah. You know? It, it's like if you're starving, oh, God loves you, no, feed me yeah. if I'm starving. Don't yeah. tell me. Well, Jesus that, yeah. that, you know, I've been listening to Todd White lately mm -hmm. and I love because he, he takes care of people's needs mm -hmm. first yeah. before he preaches the word. You know, take out a per per person's need. And yeah. it's interesting what faith looks like too, because like even Israel had to have faith and God told them, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. I want you by faith essentially to go into captivity. They had to have faith for that too. Yeah. And they didn't know how to have faith to go into a hard place because yeah. they were so used to getting their prayers answered for whenever they cried out for good things. But it's like God wanted to teach them how to go through yeah. destruction too by faith. Yeah. My faith, and, and I think too, like not just calling on the name of the Lord, but there's a warfare. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and there's a warfare going on where if we're not praying, the Lord has told us to be fervent in prayer. Like if we're not praying, we may lose that battle. Not yeah. we're not going to lose the whole war, obviously. Jesus already did it, but we will lose that battle if. We're not being fervent. If we're not being obedient to do what he said. For instance, our nation. You know, like we have to be praying. Yeah. Yeah. We can't just, and we have to, I feel like even just that example alone, there has to be, I, when you're talking about, you know, Azusa or whatever, all these revivals that have taken place, I have been feeling for a long time that God wants to do an outpouring over our entire nation, but we have to repent. And I really believe that if, if good men and women are too afraid because of the attacks that they receive, if they're too afraid to step into their position, then there's no... I feel like revival's going to come when they begin to change the laws and overturn demonic things, and there's repentance across our land. Yeah. And so, to me, that's what I think of. Like, that's just an example of yeah. being obedient and praying and not being complacent. Yeah. Just saying, oh, well, whatever... Whatever. Yeah. And, and I truly believe, and we'll see when we get to heaven, but I truly believe that nobody gets saved without somebody else praying for them. Oh, yeah. I really believe that. Um, I think when we get to heaven, we'll meet the people that were praying for us. You I know? Think so too. But because the thing is, is there is nothing in a, a sinful man's heart or a woman's heart that wants to be saved. There is nothing in a sinful person's heart that wants anything to do with God. So it. It seems to me there's got to be some outside help. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to be praying for you to get you to, you know, to, to begin to open your heart. Again, we know it's the Holy Spirit that initiates, that comes to us. But, but, but what softens a person's heart? What, what gets a person to where there's a little crack that some light can get in, you know? So let me, let me read this real quick. In uh, James 2, just what we were talking in verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? But he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder, but are you willing to believe, recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now, I said all that to get to this. Again, this is what the New Testament believes about the covenant relationship with, with Abraham. 
Verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Now where did that happen? That happened in Genesis 22, right? Not Genesis 15, Genesis 22. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, so again, what is Genesis 15 showing us? It's showing us that, again, um, we cannot save ourselves, right? It's God. You know, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him, right? So it's God that comes down and initiates covenant with each one of us. And it's... Uh, um, there's no other name. There's nobody else. Jesus was the only one in Revelation that's worthy to, be, to break the seals, right? And so there's only one person that was good enough to save us, and that's Jesus. And he's, you know, so the whole thing about Genesis, 5, Genesis and the Abrahamic covenant is that, number one, God initiated it. Number two, we can't save ourselves. And number three, all covenants, New Testament, Old Testament, and we'll talk about the New Testament next week, but all covenants have stipulations. Every single one of them. All covenants say, God says, I will do my part. I will give you this. I will give you salvation. I will send my Holy Spirit. I will do all these other things. But then there's our part too. Our part is to repent. Our part is to walk in obedience. And our part is to have faith. Alright? So... I was thinking a second ago that all those stories that we mentioned would be pretty non-existent and dumb if, like, the lady didn't get all the jars. It's like, you know, go get the jars. <laughs> Nothing happened. Yeah. Okay, there's not a story there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. And just like it says in First Corinthians, all those things were written for our instruction. Everything in the Old Testament is written for the instruction of New Testament believers, right? And even, so, even then, though, I think about that lady, and I'm just like, it wasn't because I mean, even her faith with the jars. I honestly think, like, even 